following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. sure that uh, most of us have experienced occasions when we have been cut off from those we love. It, it might be a matter of technology. You're away on a trip and you have no uh, access to email or, or to telephone and you can't communicate with those whom you love and, and you know that feeling. Perhaps boys and girls, and some of you will be going to, to camp this summer and uh, you might just want to talk to hear your mother's voice and you try to call home and you can't get her, you know, and um, you feel this loss, uh, this being cut off from those that you love. It happens even more seriously in relationships where we're cut off from the intimacy of that relationship. So sometimes, boys and girls, you've probably been sent into your room by yourself and you've been separated from uh, the family and from family activities. And you know how that feels when for punishment you have been separated from the family. And in our own relationships sometimes we, we say something or do something that offends uh, our spouse. Now what they do is not right but we get the silent treatment. And uh, we are aware of our sin and we long for that intimacy to be restored. Now you've been there. But that's just an analogous to uh, spiritual distress, spiritual separation that Job is describing here in Job chapter 23. And it's not unique to him. It's not unique to him in the unfolding of Scripture. It's not unique to him in the history of Christian experience. And I imagine that some of you here this morning have experienced this Cut offness from God, a separateness where you have uh, no delight or pleasure in prayer or, or the word or in corporate worship. Uh, you have no delight in God or in his ordinances or you can't make heads or tails of, of what he's doing in your life. And, and you, you feel as if he's just rejected you. You go through a dark time of of depression. You've had that, many of you. Well, that's what Job is describing here in in chapter 23, as he begins his speech in the third cycle of speeches. Eliphaz, in chapter 22, has self-righteously accused Job of all manner of sin. Job must be doing these things because, after all, you would not suffer as Job suffered if you were not a guilty sinner. And Job has pushed back and he has explained and sought to exonerate himself. And also in doing so, he has uh, he's complained uh, you know, about why is this happening to me? He, he's longed for answers from God. He wasn't getting answers uh, from his friends. Uh, but then at the end of that speech, uh, Eliphaz somewhat ameliorates what he says by setting before Job and us a beautiful picture of repentance and what it's like and and what God does those for, repent, for those who repent. But that doesn't help Job either, does it? Uh, of what sin is he to repent? 
What has he done that has brought this darkness and this silence from God? So Job is laboring, continue in his response. Continuing his response now in 23 and 24, once again to set out his case, because uh, the, the great problem is not the physical things. Although he was greatly broken with the, uh, the loss of his estate and, and his servants and, and his children and his, his own illness. But as we've seen along the way, Job's real struggle is the silence, the absence of God. Where does he turn to repent? God has separated himself from Job. So what I want to show you here is that the Holy Spirit teaches us that when the godly person suffers spiritual distress, he must patiently, by faith, seek the face of God. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us that when the godly person suffers spiritual distress, he must, uh, by faith, wait, patiently seek the face of God. I'll unpack this uh, proposition under two headings. uh, The great pain of the spiritually distressed and the believing behavior of the spiritual distressed. Great pain behavior. Well, the pain, Job describes his pain in the first three verses. Then Bildad, the shoot, well, excuse me, then Job replied, remember, this is simply the dialogical format. Straight through, every speech begins with this, literally, uh, the person answered and said. Even God's speeches is going to be introduced uh, with that formula. And so Job replied, Job answered and said, now he's speaking to Eliphaz, but he's speaking really to all three of them, but not long. He once again, as we've seen him doing now, he's turning his attention really to God and and what's going on between God and him. Even today, he says in verse 2, my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come to his seat. In verse 2, Job lays out that his, his, uh, his problem is both bitter and heavy. Bitter and heavy. It's bitter. So what's translated in the New American Standard, even today my complaint is rebellion. The English Standard Version says my complaint is bitter. Now, the two words, rebellion and bitter, have exactly the same consonants in Hebrew. I think Job is making a play on words here. They've been saying that his complaint is rebellion against God. He's saying, my complaint is coming out of the bitterness of a heart that cannot grasp what is going on. He speaks here in a way to anticipate what Naomi will say uh, when she comes back to Bethlehem. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has filled my soul with bitterness. So Job is saying, the Almighty has filled my soul with bitterness. Uh, It's like just drinking undiluted lemon uh, juice. It's just absolutely, spiritually puts my spiritual teeth on edge. He says, so my complaint is bitter. It's coming out of a a bitterness, out of a a heart that's broken under the awful distress. And the sweetness of God is gone uh, in my existence. It's... 
his burden is bitter, but his burden is also heavy. So he says in the second half of verse 2, his hand is heavy despite my groaning. Again, we've got a translation difference here. It's pretty rare when I go to the ESV twice over the New American Standard. But again, I prefer the ESV where it says, my hand is heavy on account of my groaning, which follows the Hebrew text and not the Greek text at this point. Now, at the end of the day, it's the same thing, whether it's God's hand is what we would see in, in 23.2b, um, is heavy on him, and he has expressed that uh, many times already in his speeches. The weight of God's hand upon him, and keep remembering this weight of God's hand is not just primarily the physical suffering, it's the separateness of God, it is the, the absence of God, it is the... the, the Failure to have any communion with God. If, he, if, it's, if it's my hand is heavy, it's either the hand of God upon me, or I'm so weakened by the hand of the Lord, I cannot lift up my hand um, even in prayer on account of my groaning. And you remember how uh, he desp- uh, describes the weight of, of his trials in chapter 6, um, where he says it's, it's weightier than a wagon full of sand. You know how much more sand weighs than topsoil? Why? Because it's ground up rock. And that's his figure for helping us, helping his friends to understand this, this weight that is uh, upon, uh, upon Job. Um, this is why he's crying out. This is the, uh, the groaning of his heart. But in verse 3, he gets to the the important issue behind all of this. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. Eliphaz says, repent, and God will receive you. Job says, where is he? How can I go to God and repent? For God has gone far from me. God has separated himself from me. Now, that is the, at the heart, my friends, of spiritual distress. You understand that? That God has separated himself from us, or from you. And it's like a huge wall between you and God. Oh, in the book of Job, this little opening expletive is uh, used often to express intensity and and strong desire. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Job said uh, that I might come to his seat. And the word seat here is, it's his abode, his established place. Uh, the, the place of, of God's presence. He says, this is, this is the place that, uh, that I need to find. And I can't find it. Because God is, is silent Now, is Job wrong to uh, express these laments? Not at all. Uh, There is an improper expression of lamentation when it becomes self-centered and and murmuring and complaining about the providence of God. But what the Spirit is showing us here is that there is is an avenue uh, to be able for a believer to express uh, sorrow. We're We're not stoics. 
We don't keep everything pent up inside us. That's not how God has made us in his image. No, um, when our, our heart is in tumult within us, uh, part of the expression of that tumult is to pour it out to God. In Psalm 62, um, God says that uh, we trust him and we can pour out our hearts before him. And God wants you to pour out your heart before him. And uh, the Psalms are full of these lamentations and to express to one another, to express to God the brokenness, the blackness that you are experiencing, to solicit help and comfort, to solicit prayer, um, upholding. This is all part of it. We just have to, to be careful. So one writer, uh, and I'm taking this just from him, gives us three um, things to judge by. He says, sighs and groans are not improper. They are prompted by nature. And they actually will give some relief to you as you sigh and utter these laments. But he says there's three things. The spirit, you must not have the spirit of murmuring or complaining. You must not be marked by one who's going through life murmuring and complaining against the providences of God as you are experiencing them. You're lamenting the absence of God. You're lamenting um, the inexplicable nature of some of the things that happen uh, in your life and you can cry out why but you do not develop a spirit of murmuring or complaining two he says that your murmurings your sighs and groans should not be beyond what your suffering demands so as not to lead others to suppose we suffer more than we actually do in other words some people enjoy lamenting they enjoy expressing their sighs and they're groaning. To such an extent, you maybe have known people like this. There's some people that I simply refuse to ask how they're doing. Because I know the litany I'm going to get if I ask that question. And it's far beyond anything that would be normal or God-honoring. And we have to be careful ourselves not to get overboard and give the impression, well, this is next to death itself, uh, this that I'm going through. Nobody has ever suffered the way that, that I'm suffering. And then a really practical suggestion he gives, and that is um, when these groans are extorted from us by the severity of our suffering, they should lead us to look to the world where there is no groaning. To remember that it's all a momentary light affliction, and soon all will be made well. So it's in this way that we then can... Uh, sigh and groan in the presence of God and, and to friends as we keep it in, in moderation. And Job is showing us here then how to do that. Um, but why, why was Job cut off? So he says in verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. Um, why are you... At, in times of spiritual distress like this. Well, again, as I said, it's a very common thing in the Bible. Take, for example, David in Psalm 13, 1 to 4. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. 
Enlighten mine eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. So it's, a, it's not uncommon uh, to have this time of spiritual distress. But what are the causes of it uh, in our lives? Well, our confession speaks to us of this. Sometimes it's going to be because of our own sin as chastening uh, or because we've been neglectful of the means of grace. And that's where the confession begins in 18.4, page 930, if you want to follow. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation. Divers, that means different ways, shaken, diminished, intermitted, uh, like intermission. As by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin, which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation. So these are things that on our end that can do, or things that can happen to us in the attacks of Satan, and we can come to a period of spiritual distress, of lack of assurance, or even of a deeper uh, depression. But then, confession goes on to say, By God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. That's based upon what God says in Isaiah 50.10. Who among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Sometimes that happens to a believer. Sometimes, inexplicably, you're cast into this darkness. You have come where you you have no sense of God's gracious presence. You come into a a spiritual distress and depression. And it's merely God's way of uh, training us in his sovereignty. And we must be aware of that as well. But in that process, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So as you enter into these times, you obviously begin by examining yourself. Come back to that. Um but also to understand that there's not always an apparent cause outside that your God is good, loving, and faithful. But you know what is sadder than recognizing that you're in that estate? Is being in that and not recognizing it. Some people today, some professing Christians, are at the point in their life where they have never thought about the sweetness of God, enjoying the presence of God, delighting in God. Um, They don't recognize the fact that God is far from them because they so gradually fell uh, into this uh, spiritual uh, slumber. It's like the person who begins to develop symptoms, and, but, this, but slowly the body weakens and, and gives way to the symptoms. So finally, it's a physical wreck, but how did I get there? That happens spiritually. Is there someone here this morning that's in this condition? You are a spiritual wreck. You know nothing of communion and sweetness of God Nothing of the beauty of Christ. You have no delight in the word of God. No delight in prayer. And you don't even know it. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't pain you. Now that 
It's the most fearful condition. And it's one of two things going on. Either you have so far backslidden in sin that you become spiritually insensitive. And it's going to be the preaching of God's word and the Holy Spirit pricking your conscience is going to bring you out of it like one of those electronic things placed on the heart when it stops. Or the fact you're unconverted. So if you're unconverted, you know nothing of the beauty and sweetness of God. You, you know maybe a lot about him. But he, he doesn't, he's not altogether lovely to you. Uh, prayer is not something that you're interested in. You come to corporate worship, at least some, out of some sense of pleasure in the people or duty or whatever. But your heart's far from God. If your heart's far from God today, dear friend, I urge you to call out to him in repentance to give you light, to bring you unto himself. And that you're very distressed where you find yourself is, could even now be a consequence of the spirit dealing in your conscience. You've got this great sense of guilt. Why? Because you are guilty. But again, you come to Christ. and He delivers you from the guilt. So this is something of the great pain of the spiritually depressed. Well, then what, what does one do? What does a true believer do? Well, we see the behavior of the spiritually distressed in verses 4 uh, to 7. Which, by the way, is picked up in Isaiah um, 50.10, the very last line. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So we are instructed here to seek God in the way that he has appointed. I would present my case before him, verse 4. Fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Well, there's four things, I believe, here that mark the behavior of the spiritually distressed. And the first is um, faith, to believe. As Isaiah uh, tells us, or God, when this happens, when you're in this darkness, trust the name of the Lord and rely on God. That's the premise behind verses 4 and 5. I would present my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments, learn the words which he would answer, perceive what he would say to me. Well, obviously, the psalmist is speaking here in terms of a relationship that he has with God. A relationship that has been greatly diminished from his own experience, but it is, this is faith reaching out. Um, Faith taking hold of the fact that he is my God. As we read that he said in, in Hebrews 13, quoting uh, the Old uh, Testament from Deuteronomy, that he, God said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Think of our Savior as he hanged on the cross of Calvary. As he was truly a spiritual derelict, having suffered this Penal separation from the comfortable presence of God. But what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, faith at work there. Faith looks through all the darkness, all the spiritual torment. And faith uh, continues to confess 
that God is his God. And that's what Job is teaching us here. We must come to God by faith, regardless of what we see, regardless of how black things are. He's your God if you are in Christ Jesus and you come to him by faith, believing that he is and that he will reward those who seek him. Second, we see that we come to him in earnest prayer. And this earnest prayer also has two marks. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. The first part of verse 4, I'll present my case before him. The language implies I will lay it all out. (laughs) I will come into God's presence planning what I'm going to say. I will order (coughs) my petitions, my pleas (coughs) as I come to him. And that, my friends, is a very important counsel for prayer. Is that, yes, we pray throughout the day what we call ejaculatory prayers, ad hoc prayers, or whatever you want to call them. But when we come into his presence in our private worship, family worship, and particularly in corporate worship, we need to be prepared. We need to have ordered uh, our, our prayers before him. This is why we follow the order of the Lord's Prayer. It's, it gives us the things for which we pray, and, and we can check our prayers, and have I organized my prayers in, in, in the best way. And this is why it's important that you boys and girls memorize the Lord's Prayer, but also understand uh, what God is telling us. This is why we organize our prayer meeting in this way. You see, we're ordering our prayers before God. We do this in our pulpit prayers. Pastor Groff and I don't just get up here and pray. No, they will be an order to the prayer. I trust by now you've seen that. Uh, and it's, it's laying out these things with intelligence before God. We don't rush into his presence with no thought. And so it's orderly prayer. The orderly prayer, the second part of it is that it is a prayer, he says, that I will fill my mouth with arguments. Now, those of you that were with us at the community service two weeks ago, I dealt with <coughs> Romans fifteen thirty to 33. And uh, Paul tells us to agonize or to work at prayer. And remember the two P's I use. We are to uh, persistently plead. To plead persistently. So um, this pleading with God is what Job is referring to here. I will fill my mouth with arguments. In other words, not only am I planning out my prayer as I come to him, and this is why it's very useful to have a prayer journal, but I'm also going to enforce my petitions with biblical arguments. So you think of, of Abraham and uh, pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses in Psalm, or Exodus 32 and 33 pleading for the covenant people. Uh, Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 pleading for God to keep the promise of bringing the people back into the land. And all those prayers are full of biblical covenantal arguments. God's name and natures and God's work and God's promises. You need to be aware of those things so that as you are praying for particular things, you can relate that to different aspects of God's attributes or his promises or titles of his work and bring these things as an argument to God of why he should respond to your prayer. He gives us permission to do that. And we need to learn to pray that way. Pray here the way Job is praying, even when he couldn't see God, when he was, didn't know where to find God, he knew that God was there, and so he orders his prayer 
He's prepared to pray, and he's filled his mouth with arguments. So you come by faith, you come in prayer, which is what faith does. And then the third thing, when you are spiritually distressed, you come with submission. In verse 5, I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. So, now Job didn't have scripture. Um, but he had a portion of God's revelation had been passed down. He had some visions and other things like that as well. But as he comes to God, he wants to come to God with this submissive spirit so that if he has done wrong, if in some place he has departed, then he wants God to correct him. And that's how we also to come to God. We often, I think, misuse James's instruction in James chapter 1 when he tells us uh, that we are to, um, as we come to God's word, that we are to be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In the context, that's not talking about personal relationships. That's talking about your response to God's word. And that's how we're to come to the God's word. Are you coming to God's word quick to hear? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Come in as Job came here. Lord, what's, what's wrong? Are there, is there something in my life that needs to be, uh, be corrected? And, and then don't talk back. <laughs> when the Bible convicts you of something or sets a pathway in front of you, don't argue with God. And don't get angry when he corrects you by his word, whether in reading or in preaching, because that's part of the purpose of the word. So, when you are spiritually distressed, you do begin with analyzing where you are. And you do search your life by scripture. And as I've said before, if there's a particular thing going on in your life that's created this separation between you and God, he's going to make it evident. And he'll give you a heart to turn and, and repent. Um, but you must be willing to be taught by the Spirit of Christ in the Word and to shape your life. And even in the general discipline of God that we go through, we must always be willing, all right, what is God teaching me here about myself, about my response to Him? And so to be submissive to the Word of God as you seek Him by faith through prayer. And the fourth thing that we're taught here, how to behave under spiritual distress is to do so with Confidence of conscience. Verses 6 and 7. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely. He would pay attention to me. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Now here's Job once again longing to come before the throne of God. He, he's coming there with a confidence. Now part of that confidence he's already expressed. There's a mediator. Uh, this one whom he sees from the distance. But part of that confidence is the fact that he has a clean conscience. In his conscience, he knows, as God has described him, that he is uh, a blameless, upright, God-fearing man who turns away from evil. He knows that, yes, he sins every day. He says he's a sinner. He confesses his sin. He's not living in a gross sin. He's seeking, as any of us would seek, to walk by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anticipating him by the Holy Spirit. So Job could, and some people think he's being too bold here, but Job is actually knowing that his Redeemer lives, knowing that God is a true, perfect, righteous judge, 
believes that when he can come into the presence of God, that he will not be destroyed because he's upright. Not perfect, but a clear conscience. And he'll be delivered from God as judge. The people are saying, God's judging you. And he's saying, no, God's not judging me. And I'll know that someday, and you will as well. You see the importance of maintaining a, a good conscience before God always. So again, boys and girls, you know that funny feeling you have when you have disobeyed and uh, your parents don't yet know you've disobeyed, but you know you've disobeyed and usually end up going and telling them that you disobeyed. That funny feeling, you know that funny feeling? That's conscience. That's a God-given gift that's at work in you to bring your behavior in line with God's word. <laughs> Don't despise conscience. Don't push back. Don't say, well, I haven't been caught, so it won't matter. No. <laughs> you listen. As we adults must listen as well to a conscience that's been instructed by the word of God. Because it's when we have a good conscience that even though the silence will continue, we will know that we will at some point have vindication from God. And we boldly will come to him in prayer. You see, if you can't pray boldly this morning, then that means your conscience is not yet allowing you to pray boldly because there's some undealt with behavior patterns or sin in your life that God is calling you to confront and to, to deal with. So we'll get more of this uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, here the Holy Spirit is teaching each one of us uh, in spiritual distress how by faith we are to seek God. That we're going to be in these conditions. You're going to find yourself in the darkness. If you've not yet, you will. And some of you are going to wrestle with depression. Some of the times that depression is physical. It's physiological. But, but the principles hold the same. I want you to understand that. The principles are the same. If you've got a physiological depression, hormones or postpartum or lack of sleep or whatever it might be, you are to look to God. And you're to tell yourself, He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the writer of the Hebrews tells us. And you are to order your prayer before Him. As you look to him and wait on him. And yes, you do see now, is this depression for some other reason? Don't immediately jump to the conclusion, well, yes, all depression is physiological. I'd say it's probably a good bit reverse the other direction. But examine yourself. And then with a clear conscience, boldly lay hold of God and wait for him to deliver you from this present darkness. So we can summarize it with three steps. You are to be in an attitude of repentance before God. As you um, live your life before Him, don't cover over sin. Second, seek Him in the Word. In the Word. Job had little word to which to submit. We have the entire Word of God. Um, as Paul Harvey used to close off, and now you know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story. You have the completed scripture. And then above all, dear friends, you constantly seek him in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you rest in him, 
who is your hope and your salvation, and who will, by God's providence, be your deliverer. And if it, even never in this life, he still is the guarantee of your deliverance and your eternal well-being. Let us pray. <clears throat> we bless your name, holy God, as you have set out before us something of the psychology, the spiritual psychology of spiritual distress. And give us practical steps of how we can work through our distress, Lord. And I pray that if there are those this day that are in this condition, that they would use the steps, that we all regard ourselves in the future. If there are those here, Lord, who are spiritually on life support, either so close to death and they don't realize it because they're backslidden or unconverted, would your spirit even now do a great work of awakening in their hearts? And help us all to love you and to rest in you. We ask this all for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.